uh, start now. <laughs> Welcome to the Raleigh Bitcoin Meetup. Uh, do we think that a parallel economy can exist between like the U.S. dollar and the Bitcoin, like in the U.S.? Like there's two different races of people, almost like one group that spends Bitcoin and one that spends U.S. dollars, and they kind of sort of exist together with each other. Is that possible? Is that what a parallel economy would be? I've never heard that term. So is that just like a? I think you're saying like two separate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best word for that. I actually didn't hear that phrase until today, but I think that's the best word for it: parallel economy. It's kind of like parallel languages. Sure. I guess. I think. It, I think of uh, when, I, when I think of that, I think of email and mail. They so both the, exist, but everybody was like, "Yo, like, email's better," so more people adopted email. But people still send mail. Yeah. But like email dominates. Yeah, I don't think someone's gonna exclusively leave the fiat economy and go to Bitcoin. And I don't think that'd be a common case. Like maybe people in this room, but not once mainstream adoption happens. Yeah, I think, um, well, I thought about this with languages too. Like I never understood how street signs could be in Spanish and English. Like it seemed to me it'd be absolutely necessary for a standard language, but I think the government resists that, right? Resists saying there is a standard language. Um, anyway, I was just thinking like uh, values of house prices are something that the government has to discuss a lot. So th these are always going to be denominated in the government fiat. I doubt they would ever give both fiat and Bitcoin denominations for this. I have no idea how this would work or if it would work. I think it would be hard. I feel like there's always going to be fiat. Always. I don't think it'll ever all go all the way away. I could see a weird um, dystopian future where only government employees are using fiat, and they're still like, "Hey, we're we're still using it. Like, no big deal. What's wrong?" Yeah. But it'd just be for like the cat, the cafe at the Wake County court system or something like that. Actually, Nobody else like, is using it. It's kind of like the mail analogy. The, I mean, the government. Yeah. Using yeah. Mail. <laughs> no one's using mail. Yeah. Well, so d does parallel economy denote a like black market economy, or is there such a thing as a le legitimate so, parallel economy? Yeah. So yeah, this this question. answer is from Cora yeah. uh, .com, which is a pretty reliable uh, crowdsourced website. Uh, parallel economy is the functioning of an unsanctioned sector in the economy whose objectives run uh, in opposite to the objectives of the official sanctioned or legitimate sectors. Okay. Well, then no, I'm not. I'm not talking about you know, having objectives that are opposite of the government, like on purpose being anti-government. I'm just talking about... Yeah, it's just one answer. Well, but okay. I think the the way that Bitcoin functions is inherently opposite of how the government wants things done. Right? I mean, the very nature of fiat currency is that it is government sanctioned and it's sanctioned in a particular way that they can control it. Um, that whether we want Bitcoin to be in opposition to what the government's doing, I think it kind of is. And and not that it it wants to be. It's just that, and I'm definitely not a libertarian. Like I, I don't like that that label. I'm just saying. I think that just inherently runs in opposition to what the government is. But didn't didn't you see the uh, the hearings last week or two weeks ago? I did, but only I think they started hour. liking Bitcoin a lot more. 
during those hearings over over facebook i mean like <laughs> yeah i guess i guess comparatively speaking um herpes is not as bad as full-blown <laughs> syphilis in the eyes of the government not that i'm comparing bitcoin to an std but <laughs> maybe i am in the eyes of the government the virus I, is spreading yeah i mean i still think the government will eventually realize that they can't really do anything about it like their their ban on Bitcoin would be about as effective as their ban on marijuana. And it's like something that the people want to use and it's a peaceful technology and it's peer to peer. So you're not going to stop it. And so it's like eventually the government ha is going to be forced to be of the people. I mean, the, the, the government could go against the people's will for a long time, but not forever. Maybe that's hopeful of me, but I think that. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking recently about what a war on Bitcoin would look like, especially for the U.S., and I do think there is a clear playbook in that the war on communism, the war on drugs, and the war on terror, it's this war that never wins. Terrorism never gets defeated, drugs never get defeated, and communism never gets defeated. But at the same time, those other sides never win either. The drugs never win, communism never wins, and uh, the last one never wins. So we're going to end up in this just permanent war, potentially, which I do not want to see. And but, but the U.S. economy is a wartime economy. It functions only because there is conflict. But it only functions because they can print fiat and Bitcoin threatens that. So you're going to, it's going to be ugly. Maybe they'll just start paying Lockheed Martin and Bitcoin. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that, that, that you're incorrect. I just think that the, the entire U.S. economy... And the products that we produce and, and what we do still produce in the U.S. is very much part of, I think, a term that I've heard you say a couple times, the military industrial complex, you know, it, uh, across the globe. I think that's just the nature of what we are. Yeah, but I mean, the military industrial complex is so that we can actually like control our overseas colonies. That's what they're actually there for. So at, at this point, the rest of the world is getting enough money extracted by our military that it's a worthwhile economic decision but that you know bitcoin threatens that if countries get more autonomy there's just all these things working against this neocolonial rule that we currently have and bitcoin is definitely gonna it's just hard wars never made sense economically you know i've the analogy i always use is when you're dropping bombs on another country it's like you're dropping gold bars that explode but you're not getting that money back I'm a little more hopeful that there isn't going to be a permanent war on Bitcoin because because Bitcoin's so peaceful. Like you can have a war on terrorism because the terrorists are violent and aggressive, and the drug world is kind of violent and aggressive too. I, I hope that Bitcoin, since it's like the ultimate passive uh, technology, I, I hope the U.S. can't do a there, war. On uh, there wasn't really a war on the internet. Um, yeah, I mean, there have been measures true. in place that that attempt to slow it down or censor firewalls. But there, I mean, I, I always go back to the analogy of the internet with Bitcoin. Like there wasn't a war on the internet. They can slow Bitcoin down through the hearings with Libra and scare people. But I don't think there will be a war on, if there is, it'll be really slow and uneventful. So one of the things I think uh, is a big roadblock to um, Bitcoin being used by the government is um, the accountability and transparency that comes with a open distributed ledger. If you take, for instance, what mm. happened in 2003, 
when we took $12 billion from the Federal Reserve to Iraq on airplanes in bags and lost it. We don't know where it is. That can't really happen with a Bitcoin centralized, well, a Bitcoin world. Um, the government would, would see where that went, yeah. um, unless they were doing it on a side chain, on Lightning, with paywall.link. <laughs> but this is another thing that like 95% of people would want. Yeah, except you know, the government. So, yeah, except but the government can't refuse what 95% of the people want for forever. At least that's my hopeful belief. What about the, a comparison to like the war on BitTorrent and uh, like, I guess, the pirating of that's movies good, and stuff? Like, that's a good comparison. What ended up happening is, you know, the market adapted and like better services like Spotify, Netflix came up and kind of helped, you know, made a superior experience than what BitTorrent could offer. And people started, you know, just paying Netflix instead or like iTunes and, you know, Spotify and stuff for music. BitTorrent's still there and you can still pirate all that stuff, but most people opt to just use the superior you know, know, experience. One could argue that what you just said is a case for Libra. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, so Bitcoin is so good. It hurts me to say that. I mean, like that argument could be extrapolated to Libra. Well, I think you also have to look at it. It's an argument for the technology coming and completely disrupting the underlying economy. The music industry died. You know, we get we finally got a service that's $10 a month like Spotify, but the music industry is dead. Is it? The though? movie... As far as making the recorded, uh, recorded music industry is dead. It used to be a multi-billion-dollar industry. Recorded music kind of worthless now. You're I don't. I don't know if I agree, but I don't know. I think the I old the old system. I would say the old recording industry and the way they operated is essentially like, dead. In terms of physical CDs and as far as like, what salaries get what. Artists don't get paid to record music. They don't make millions of dollars from recording a multi-platinum album anymore. They don't get millions of dollars at all for recording music. They only get it from concerts. So, well, so you're saying two chains is not making millions? Well, I feel like the, dis <laughs> the distribution kind of got spread out because with like Spotify and these other platforms, our artists can make money straight from the like. So many more artists are now opened up to the cash funnel as opposed to only the people who could get deals or are locked in through the bigger pipeline you know like artists get paid on spotify per listen which is something completely different than how it worked before I, I, someone could look it up to verify but i'm almost yeah. certain that the the economics are terrible now that you're making the artists get paid a lot less sure and it's not the summation of all artists in aggregate is much less than it used to be I think, uh, by the way, any guys can jump in here whenever you want. Um, I, I think the uh, small difference between that Spotify analogy is that we already have a pretty good user experience with the traditional banking system in terms of uh, like Venmo. I mean, I, I don't know how you can really improve on Venmo for just like payment to payment stuff. Like I, I, if Facebook comes out with their coin, I don't see their user experience well, I guess you have the social networks and, and okay, maybe the social networking part of it makes it a, a slightly better user experience. Um, but that's not going to change like the purchasing power of the money because of inflation. You know, it's like a... But I think that's the experience. 
that yeah. is the experience of Bitcoin. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So, you know, if people ask me, like, what can the government do to, to keep Bitcoin from taking over? You know, the answer is simple. Go back on the gold standard. Right. Yeah. You know, like, just stop having inflation. And that's kind of what I was alluding to is that yeah. they come out with something or some or like, you know, if, if something can beat Bitcoin, it'll be a better experience in the sense of you know, greater purchasing power that Bitcoin is offering is sound hard money. Yeah. But I think I think part of what makes the value of Bitcoin go up go up is the absolute certainty about the scarcity. Like uh Facebook can say what they want about whether they're going to print money or not or how they're going to print money or what's going to back it, but that just comes down to Mark Zuckerberg changing his mind. Sure. So I, I think I don't know. I, I see what you're saying. There, there's something about user experience here, right. and maybe people don't care. But there's also something about the absolute certainty of the monetary policy that you can't get with any centralized coin. But, but you, you're saying that's too much well, that's for what people. I'm referring to as the experience in this case. Just people's experience of inflation. Yeah. Yeah. They realize okay. that it's like not a good experience. Their money is devalued. Bitcoin's a good experience. Right, so it'll slowly overtake fiat money, but if the government wants to exist in parallel, it'll have to create something or manage its money in a way that competes with yeah. Bitcoin. But the the government has this other huge incentive to like race to the bottom, right? To uh, devalue their currency as as fast as possible, right? For yeah, international the, trade stuff. Trump was even talking about that this week of trying to do some shady stuff in foreign exchange markets to bring the value of the dollar down so that U.S. goods would be bought more uh, because we suspect China's manipulating their currency down. It's pretty well known. That's crazy to me. Like it's, It blows my mind to think that all of the governments in the world are in a race to devalue their currency so that whatever import and export work out better for them Yet they're just crushing their people. Like, uh, does anyone understand this? It makes no sense to me. I, I just don't get it. I mean, I understand what you're saying, yeah, but I just don't understand yeah. why it's happening. It just it just seems like an arbitrary measurement to to do nothing but just continuing a system that damages the populace. Could could it be that all that really matters in true economics is that as long as you're importing more goods than you're exporting, you're winning? Because you've got more stuff inside your borders. Is that why? Is that why they devalue their? We every country devalues their currency, just for that to achieve that. I I don't know. It could actually yeah. be they're doing the opposite because they're trying to sell goods. Oh, okay, I have no idea about that stuff. Yeah, I really don't. But I mean, may, maybe I, Facebook. I feel like guy, if he guys, was here, would have oh, like, yeah, sixteen yeah. articles <laughs> about it. Guys, would definitely right answer yeah. to that. And I, d I did find out the music industry fact. So it peaked around 20 billion in 2000 and we're now at 10 billion in 2017 dollars or 10 billion. So we've, the, and we've cut the actual dollar amount in half plus all the inflation that's happened since the year 2000. Do we know what the Bitcoin's market cap is? It's like 200 billion. Yeah. Right. I'd so, like to say that Bitcoin ruined the music industry. I'm just I think there's a correlation there somewhere. Bitcoin what the music? Ruined the music industry. Really? I mean, they lost that they lost yeah. that ten billion somewhere. It had to go to Bitcoin. Yeah. But I, I think that the Bitcoin could cut a lot of fluff out of the economy if it does 
cut out the waste that the Federal Reserve does and the finance industry does and the military industrial complex does, that's going to would clean up all these expenses that are unnecessary, but it'll create a vacuum where you have large unemployment for a period of time that kind of messes things up. It takes a while to recover. Do you think with like the with the music industry analogy, like that's what got cut out was just the fluff and the market inefficiencies once more efficient market players came in? Like that it shouldn't really have been there in the first place? Kind of like what... uh they say Fadine argues from like all those guys like the I, inflation I, just kind of props up businesses that shouldn't be around mm, in the first place yeah. but they're kept alive because the velocity of money keeps coming through and keeps them alive oh yeah with hard cool. money like that it just wouldn't exist because it wouldn't work I, I think it could have been so, something to do with a series of monopolies that were able to make revenue go up so high in the payola on the radio stations and controlling the concert venues and controlling uh, record sales because there was no competition in pricing. You, everything came from the recording. That's maybe how the prices got higher than they are now. But I'd, there's a book I'm planning to read about this called uh, Run Fast and Break Things, and I will report back. <laughs> Can, can we dive into that, what you were just talking about, how, about how um, a fiat inflationary monetary system props up businesses that shouldn't be around for longer than they can? And Because uh, I think about this a lot. So the main argument for inflationary money is that you want to um, incentivize people to be aggressively entrepreneurial and to like come up with businesses and get loans easily, start businesses or whatever. But the, uh, the argument against this is that this creates massive bubbles for all these businesses and markets that shouldn't exist. And when these bubbles pop, it just causes a lot of societal harm. And like whether you have an inflationary money or a deflationary money in the long run over like 100 years, you might get to the same place. But with a deflationary money, you're not going to have these massive bubbles and pops that or at least i saw that on a youtube video like a week ago you guys you guys think that's true <laughs> I, I think when you have loose fiat monetary supplies it forces speculative investment you can't just hang on to your money in a savings account and survive you have to speculate and invest in things that are riskier and it also forces people to in as businesses to invest in ideas that are riskier to open up new factories that they wouldn't necessarily opened up before or to replace equipment faster. And that can have a positive effect, you know, high risk, high re reward, but also has the high risk of periodically crashing the entire economy because you've done so much speculation. You funded every small biotech in the world. You funded every IPO in the world and the, the, you just have to collapse. Hmm. Wow. I don't know what it would look like without like that t style, you know, like in the pure Bitcoin world where the capital, I think, would be hard to come by. I think it would be more like I don't know how it would work. you would have like a horse or you'd be a farmer with one horse and eventually you would buy a second horse because you've got enough money to get that second horse and you know it's going to pay off, but you couldn't afford to do it till you actually got there. Yeah, so if, if Guy Swan was here, he would talk about that rubber band analogy. Remember, like, no, like, explain it again. Okay, so, guy, uh, forgive me for not doing this well, but 
Guy would talk about the ideal, most optimized distributed uh, distribution of capital. So if you have like a ton of capital, or you're an investment maker and you just have all this money, what is the best way to go about distributing that to the startup projects, which are most likely to succeed and most beneficial and will have like the least or the best success to failure ratio? One person cannot do that. So that's Guy's argument against like the Fed setting the interest rate is that like one person cannot have the knowledge to do this allocation of capital the best way. And so the best way is to have a decentralized allocation of capital method and also for the monetary system itself to be deflationary. Because um, it's all about optimizing the the distribution of capital. Does that does that make sense? I know I didn't do that well. I wish Guy was here. Yeah, so you, you've got all this capital. Some of it needs to go into no risk investments essentially like the u.s treasury bonds that only earn two and two and a half percent some of it needs to go to angel investing that's probably nine out of ten times is going to go to zero some of it needs to go into the stock market so it's got there are all these investments that dollars need to go into and how trying to centrally manage the ratios between them is crazy I did have a question. We were talking about going back to the gold standard and how, what would that look like? Is it actually possible for us to go back to the gold standard? Would we need to get a true hoard of gold and what would, what prevents people from exchanging dollars for gold when you go to a gold standard? Well, I think now that we have Bitcoin, I, I think it's impossible because even if we went back on the gold standard, I think it would be very difficult for people to take custody of the gold, the gold themselves. I still don't think the government would allow that. Even if they did, uh, custody of gold is even a harder problem than custody of Bitcoin. You know, like owning your own Bitcoin is, is easier than owning your own gold, at least if you have a lot of it. So I, I guess maybe my point is this. I don't think... It makes sense to go back on a gold standard if that gold is still going to be centralized. Like part of going on a standard of a sound money to me involves that money. It involves the decentralization of the custody of the custody of <laughs> custody. I just made a nipple newer. I've word. heard it both ways. <laughs> yeah, right. I put my doge in custody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What, what do you guys think about that? Like, we'd have to get out of debt first, <laughs> right? You'd have to have a, a we couldn't be in a trillion dollar deficit and be on the gold standard at the same time. Yeah, okay. I don't understand deficits. I, I don't understand how in the world does one country pay off their their debt to another country? Because Or how is the world in debt to itself? Well, the the, wor- the governments of the world are in debt to the private citizens of the world and also in debt to other countries of the world. But what, what I don't understand is how is it possible for one country to pay off a debt to another country when country A can just print as much money as they want to, to pay it off to country B? I mean, does, does country B say like, okay, you have to pay us off and you're not allowed to print any money when you pay us off? Like... I don't understand how any internationally settled 
debt can happen without a sound money system. Does anyone know that? It's, it almost sounds like what you're saying is why would you ever do business with the government? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think um, if we're talking about the, the volume and the sum of money that we are, printing a trillion dollars and then trying to pay off our national debt with that would so epically ruin our economy. You know, Definitely couldn't do it all at once. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen what that looks like um, and, and in also, multiple countries since World War One and Two. Right. Um, we've seen the Zimbabwean government do it. We've seen, um, uh, was it was it uh, Argentina? Not Argentina. Um, what's the one that happened in South America recently? Venezuela. Venezuela, that's right. Yeah. Um, we've seen it happen there where they've tried to manipulate currency. I mean, it people will stop using it at some point. It just it just becomes worthless. Yeah, and and uh, so it's it's bad for your people if you were to print the money. But also, why would the other country even accept that? You know, like, okay, I I saw that you just printed that money. Your money's not worth more. I mean, it's now worth less. So now you owe me twice as much in the debt. Like, well, there's right? also and then you get a war. And then you go to war. <laughs> I think. I think right now we have no idea whether we're printing more money or not yeah. in the U.S. Do Do we have any information about whether they're printing more? Well, surely there is a machine printing dollars somewhere as we speak. And when we're talking about that, are we talking about the M1 supply of money or the M2? I've been like reading about it a little bit lately, okay. and I'm trying to figure out like what actually. There's like what is the money? Like what is that called? You know, like is that there's some name for it yeah so my understanding actually look this up if yeah, there's someone sure. look this up but my understanding is that m1 is a, uh the combination of physical cash and electronic cash in people's checkings and savings account mm-hmm. and i think so, one of them's like the government notes m2 is a calculation of the money supply that includes all elements of m1 as well as near money m1 includes cash and checking deposits while near money refers to savings deposits, money markets, securities, mutual funds, and other so, time deposits. I, okay, so so money markets. So M two includes money markets and. I'm, and I'm confident account. that the okay. government so is printing. Would be what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about a machine that's right now got a plate like you saw on like every um, Bruce Willis movie you ever saw in 1990. Um, someone somewhere is printing dollar bills or adding zeros. Well, they're doing something, right? I mean, but just just for you know simplicity's sake, someone is printing hundred dollar bills right now, right? And and the argument I think would start from a perspective of well, we've got to replace bills that are getting destroyed, right? Every hundred dollar bill that gets torn up in the washer or dryer, you lose your wallets and you lose in the couch cushion. We've got to at least replace that, but that can't be the only stuff that we're printing. Well, yeah, this was going back to that $5 trillion Forex trading volume I was talking about, is if the Forex volume is $5 trillion and the stock market volume is $200 billion, it seems to me like we're all thinking that the stock market is the big game when it's just the small game and yeah. part of the dollar market that really the governments have printed up so much money in the world that they control all private equity just because they printed so many bills. 
and that we're trading in this small piece, but really they control the five trillion. We're only playing with that two hundred billion part. Yeah, but I guess the, the point I'm trying to get to, and maybe I was being a little ineloquent, but you know, we, everyone talks about China with their currency manipulation, right? I mean, I don't know. I've never seen them do it. But if China's doing it, you can be sure as shit that the U.S. is doing it, at least to some extent. Maybe, maybe worse. Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. Um, but the practical reality is that there's no way to even know how much in terms of U.S. dollars is there. No, I don't think anyone in the government's got accounts about how, much, how many dollar bills or $20 bills or $5 bills or $10 bills or any of the dollar bills are actually in existence. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And, but I think it's equally important to talk about people's checkings account. Like, um, so if I have $1,000 in my checking account, you know, that doesn't mean that there's 1,000 printed bills in the bank. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, and if you, if you total up the, the value of people's checkings accounts to the amount of printed bills, that's like 10 to 1. And the, so when we're talking about printing money, I think it's important to, to note that when the bank gives out a loan, they can just put digits into someone's checking account. And so they don't have to have all of that money in reserve. And so what does printing money mean? I mean, it certainly just putting digits in someone's checking account would be considered printing money, yeah, right? So it's not even the government doing it. Yeah, it, it's, it's a combination of, of the government and the banks that are allowed to fractionally reserve. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, hypothecation. Yeah, the rehypothecation. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that, but that's still all M1. Yeah. Money. So, so why don't we have our own bank and then we use those profits to buy Bitcoin <laughs> and then profits? I mean, I don't know what step three is in this, but I mean, <laughs> there's definitely some profits to be had. We need to start a bank. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, this is crazy. I mean, like, this is the problem of the 2008 financial crisis, right? I mean, that's what someone asked me the other day. I always change my answer when like new people are like, what is Bitcoin? And the other day I just went with Bitcoin is the solution to the 2008 financial crisis. I just left it at that. <laughs> and I think it kind of worked for me in a way. I don't know. There's, there's no good way well, to start I mean, with you people. You need a problem. I've realized you need a like yeah. start. If you just start explaining what Bitcoin is, people are like, you got, you have to understand that there's a problem and then go right. to the solution. Right. Not just starting Working with the solution. Backwards. Yeah, because you're just like, okay, why do you need that? It doesn't, I don't see any problems. Why would I want that? But you got to start, yeah, like, that's a problem. That was a problem, 2008. <laughs> yeah, problem. So, all, so it's like, okay, yeah, that seemed really bad. Oh, this is what would make that not happen again? Okay, I can, I can, you know, get on board. I need to learn about this. Yeah, and it is kind of that simple in a way. Like, if we have a system where bank runs are encouraged, like, yeah, withdraw all your money from the bank it's all going to be there like if we have that system then you know 2008 would have never happened i think it, uh, the, the the process of rehypothecation almost feels like the government has has outsourced the printing of money to corporations yeah exactly like, so it's not even to that banks. well to corporations and like any yes. anyone can go and get a bank charter what, if you've got enough money you've got enough uh, uh, i would say what has the yeah. government not outsourced what does the government even produce these days? I mean, they don't the government, repair potholes. To me, seems like they hire someone to repair everything. A yeah, so it's really a collection of corporations. This is sounding way too libertarian for yeah, my life. Yeah. <laughs> let's get back to Bitcoin. Yeah, let's back <laughs> How to does Bitcoin. Bitcoin work? No, but you know, the there is there is an aspect of this that is is kind of interesting and curious to analyze that. 
you know, we started talking in the early 2000s about corporations becoming people. And corporations have become government to, yeah. to a certain extent yeah. as well. And I think that if, if the trend continues, we're, it's a scary, slippery slope to even consider. Yeah, I think the this, this century we're going to see the all the countries around the world kind of emulate China in that you you don't want to have much political feedback from your citizenry. You just want to have the government officials and corporate officials and employees that just have to do whatever to survive. They just have to take whatever job you give them. Yeah, I don't want to just like bash government the whole time. Uh, I'm, but I'm okay with that. What, what, <laughs> what you said about um, giving it up to corporations, though, that's interesting when it comes back to Facebook's LibraCoin, right? Because the the government does just say like, oh, you know, all right, we're, we don't want to do this anymore. Corporations just do this for us. Like, is is that going to happen to money? Is, is the government just going to say like, all right, we suck at money. They might do that with Facebook. Libra. Just do it for us. Yeah. <laughs> maybe this is a good time to stop and just analyze. And maybe we need to we need to smoke up before we get into this, so we can get all right. just all all heady about it. Um, what is a government, right? Like, what makes a government a government? At what point is a corporation a government or a person a government? Like, what authority do they need to have? What do they need to control in order to be considered governmental? Is, and also, is there a difference between the government and the state? Are those synonymous? I think of those as synonymous, yeah. I, I guess I don't necessarily. Yeah, so in, in Smaller my, government. It, maybe this is a, echoing a conversation made from two podcasts uh, ago, but the ability to control, supply, and regulate money is the one thing that a government has to do to be considered a government. Okay, so like then... You, can, well, you every, can outsource pretty much everything else, but you kind of got to be in control of your, your, your doll hairs. So then each cryptocurrency is its own government? If you've printed oh, no, money... No, I think those... those that may not re- reverse in the way that you, <laughs> that you think it would. If but, they printed their own money and they can say, hey, like this house, we're going to print a thousand whatever coins it's a really small government well for a, a government has to control its currency to be considered a government mm. i don't think that means that having a currency makes you a government i, I think that i still believe in this kind of old-fashioned notion of america <clears throat> like that the government should not be that powerful um, and like I can envision a, a separation of money and state. Like I think a long time ago, no one could ever envision separation of religion and state. I think America did that. I think in the early days in America, there was an idea that gold was just money and the government did not have the ability to print gold whenever they wanted. So I think there was, this is me just like speculating, there was an idea that money should be somewhat independent of the state. It's obviously evolved into like, you know, government has total control over money, can print whatever they want. But I still have this kind of hope in a way that a separation of money and state is possible. And there is it is possible to have a government without that government being able to print money. Maybe you see that as like a contradiction in terms. Yeah. What do they do? But, like, well, so well. So what, they what enforce, else do they do besides like, printing money? They they outsource the military. Space. Yeah, the military, the the police. You know, things like this. Like they they could still collect taxes 
um, even if they didn't print the the money. Um, it, in a weird way, it would make them so much more. Like, so a government can go to war without um, taxing the people just by printing more money. So it would make the government have to collect taxes to go to war. It, it would make going to war like, yeah, it would make going to war a lot harder for the state. I, I think a, a government just needs to make sure that contracts execute correctly. And Bitcoin can do a lot of that with smart contracts. But otherwise, you need to have some sort of entity to arbitrate disputes. How do, I don't know if this is on top. How does Bitcoin do smart contracts? Is that Ethereum then being the government? No, there, there are ways. There are uh, like, what is it, rootkit and stuff? It's very low well, level. Like yeah, It's not yeah. like that complex, but it's like, you know, basic like escrow or okay. like multi-sig stuff. I mean, it's not like okay, multi- crazy yeah. smart contracts, but it's like... <clears throat> enough to provide some like trustless functionality yeah i think what wade was talking about is, is kind of contracts mostly involving property rights um okay. like if you own a house and you own this then you know if someone's intruding on your property you know mm-hmm. you have the right to call the police and stuff and the state will perform that service because you have this property right like that those kind of contracts aren't can't be digitized that easily right yeah. So I, I, yeah, I mean, smart contracts can be done if the con, if everything that's needed to fulfill the contract is digitized already, and there's something on the blockchain that can just check a website or something, or check the time, or check some GPS, or check something to see if some condition is satisfied, and then execute that okay. contract. But um, I don't know. I, I think the type of contracts that Wade's talking about is like things that can't be generalized or can't be digitized that easily. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everything could eventually be digitized, but it would take a while. Mm. You can't digitize land, though. But, I mean, yeah, you, land rights are already a, a digital interest instrument, right? And it's already a paper document. Sure, but, like, I could physically, like, take it from you or move you off of it. Land rights are something interesting that I'd like to talk about sometime when guys here because... It, one of the odd things about like libertarian and anarchist philosophies is there's no way to legitimately say someone has a right to land because it was all acquired violently and it then descends based from there but it's always that at some point ownership started with a violent act and then they just sold it from there I agree with that yeah, that's crazy yeah. I mean I guess his, his argument would be <clears throat> Okay, but going forward. Well, what they, what people have tried to say philo- uh, philosophically right? yeah. is that you can't own land, you can't but own you, you can use the land. So your your right to for, to the land is the fact that you're growing your own corn on it. You planted the corn, or these are the sheep you raised there that you're using it in some way. But as far as just a permanent ownership, that's questionable. But you still believe with like owning your body, right? Um, I do. I don't think we currently own our body, unfortunately. And I think the state owns your body. You owe them 25% till you die. Just so you know, no one ever told you straight up you're going to be paying them 25% till you die. Can, can you own anything then? Can you own a can car? You, can you choose to stop using your body in a way that you don't continue to own them? Or are they going to make you work? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. 
Also, can you just like choose to like stop your heartbeat? I guess you can in a way. I mean, you can't even be like, well, I'll leave this country, guys, so that I'm not using any of your services. And then they'll claim you're still using their services from abroad. Like, there's no way to escape it. You're born into a contract. And each citizen is born into a contract with a particular entity that they have no direct democratic control of. All the laws were passed by people that are now dead, yet they're going to continue to be in place because new legislation is so difficult. So would you say a pure libertarian would just say that contract's not valid? Because you were born into it and you didn't, you didn't like opt into it under your own free will. I, I don't know. I find libertarianism confusing. I think it took kind of some of the ideas of anarchism and combined it with kind of an American mythos. Okay. Yeah, I really wish Guy was here. We'll put put that I really on wish the board. Brian for next was week. here. Brian would have a lot to say about uh, this topic. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Definitely. to be to, to, to be anything but positive. I think he's got some interesting points about what you're just talking about. Yeah. You know, buying and getting born into a system that you don't understand or appreciate. I think there's some novelty um, in in a discussion that could could happen there. Yeah, I went on like an ex- exploration of like my value system and some points you decide I was a humanist and you realize that governments do not have humanist values and it's almost impossible to like get them on, on board. It, it is very backwards to, to mm. have to pay taxes to the government and you get told you have to pay 25%. Um, you get some deductions. You've got to calculate those deductions. You've got to figure out how much you have to pay, but the government knows exactly how much you have to pay, but they won't tell you. There's a good meme for that. Yeah. yeah, I actually yeah. saw that today, which is why I'm I'm vomiting yeah. back up on this podcast. But it's 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 really it's really a shit offer. I mean, wouldn't it be easier if they just told you this is how much you've got to pay? Well, it's it's degrading. I hate that they get to kill people on my behalf. They get to cage people on my behalf. That if they want to come for my neighbor's son, I just have to stand there on the sidewalk and watch them take them away. It's messed up. Yeah, for sure. Um, in the UK, they they just took what they wanted from me. Oh, yeah, I didn't have to come up with it myself. So they really? did that better in the UK. Hmm. Yeah. How did, that would not work in Bitcoin world, though. Yeah, I think there's a lot of problems with Bitcoin and taxes. I <laughs> so mean, there's going to be a huge problem. We, we need to get serious yeah. about this. It seems like we're, we could go one or two ways. We can try and figure out how to untie all these knots through the old way or we could just move forward like we'll drive ourselves crazy trying to apply bitcoin taxes to the old system well i actually think the old system is suited to do bitcoin taxes well i mean it's the self-reporting method i mean for most people <laughs> the most people do get w-2s right which is very easy but like for business owners or like other complex you know, uh, entities, like it's not that cut and dry. If we had real property rights, there would be nothing wrong with the government knowing that we own Bitcoin. The fact is we don't know that government is not allowed to just say, give that to me and we'd have to comply. I'm just going to ask like, uh, like, again and again, we don't feel like it's the one question, like one uh, point that is like put in, like talked about is like Bitcoin world. What do you mean when you say Bitcoin war? Like, uh, is it like Bitcoin as a replacement of general currency, or like Bitcoin as a uh, like what exactly you mean when you say a Bitcoin war? Like, uh, as in like uh, I'm confused. Like, how will the normal processes would be? Like, how would like already like as 
for now, like Bitcoin is already uh, not very uh, like widely distributed. And like, how would like because it's it, it, the way it is it can be distributed is kind of fixed, and people do not want to change that. It's gonna be the way it is uh, distributed to let's say who is mining. So it's, it's in a way it's a fixed. Its monetary policy is fixed. How would like uh, people will have access to Bitcoin if uh, if there is a Bitcoin board? Then like how does this work? Like uh, I'm assuming like you can c completely uh, replace uh, like e I'm assuming like by Bitcoin word people mean like just completely replace it the notion of money. But like then how do uh, Bitcoin uh, becomes accessible to general population like how how does one when like rules are so fixed how, how do you like like i don't understand like so it sounds like what you're saying is what do we mean by a bitcoin world and 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 let's get maybe a definition of that so we can understand. I think this almost also echoes a little bit of what we spoke about last or, week with what does success look like. Were you asking about how the transition will work in that one currency is going away and getting replaced with another one? So how do you get to Bitcoin from the other currency that's going away? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's a good question. Two, two I don't think. Question. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody knows what we mean when we say Bitcoin world. What what I have in mind is Bitcoin is the default international financial currency. And at least the majority of the people know how to transact in Bitcoin. But I don't think I would say that fiat currencies are ever going to go away. So I, I don't. To be fair to your question, I don't really know exactly what I mean by, by a Bitcoin world, um, but just just one where most people know how to use Bitcoin and it's the, the currency that's most used for international transfers would be what I would say. Yeah, I think right now Bitcoin are relatively inexpensive compared to fiat, whereas in the future, once we do have mainstream adoption, it'll be very expensive. So right now you can get one for like 10000 Lots of us suspect that eventually, if it, if it became mainstream, they would have to cost like a million dollars to get a Bitcoin. So you'd still be able to buy some. You would just buy a lot less for the same amount of money that you could buy it right now. I still stand behind the email and mail analogy. Like that's what I think Bitcoin world is going to be like. Where like I use email, but I also use mail. You know, but they coexist together. But like, you know, email is definitely like my dominant. Like I just used that and it became the norm. And at some point there was just mail and then eventually the internet came and then eventually people started using email and you know, there's like custodians, I guess, you know, you can, you can set up your own mail server and do it fine or you can use Gmail or anything. And eventually it just became more and more adopted as the industry and the internet became more and more mature. I had forgotten about that, that you could be your own email server, just like you'd be your own bank, your own post office, postmaster general. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, you can. I need to get back that. on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody really does it because it's yeah. like kind of a pain in the ass, but that's the way you could be completely self-sovereign. It, it also seems like from from the question that there is a distribution issue with Bitcoin currently. Um, you know, we've got 18 million Bitcoin um, there, there aren't a lot of people holding Bitcoin. That Bitcoin, even though we can go to 10 to the negative 8, needs to get to other people before it starts getting derived of value 
like you were suggesting, Wade. So it does the answer include, does a Bitcoin world look like people spending Bitcoin or using Bitcoin for services? Because other people have got to have it for it to be valuable. It can't just be the 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 point one zero zero one percent of us. You think that government? I think what you're suggesting is government should tax us and redistribute our Bitcoin to the masses. <laughs> no, is that correct? That's not what I'm saying. A specific tax on Bitcoin holders to make sure they get distributed evenly. For fairness, and I, I could see some people advocating that. I I think there's that might be their only argument to actually taxing. I think the only thing we can hope for is that there are sufficient incentive mechanisms for people to want to obtain their own Bitcoin. I think that's the only thing we can hope for. Well, and if people have an incentive to to procure Bitcoin, there will yeah. be people interested in selling Bitcoin. Right. right. Exactly. But, so I, yeah. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that yeah. there's going to have to be the transfer of Bitcoin, and it's going to have to get spread yeah. between a larger group of people for us to have a Bitcoin world, whatever that yeah. is. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I'm confident the market will take care of that. Another super interesting that I think is, uh, sorry, uh, just whether people start demanding to be paid in Bitcoin. If people start demanding to be paid in Bitcoin, that changes everything. I think realistically, that's what's going to happen yeah. is eventually the the most, the best distribution will come from earning of Bitcoin, not like exchange. Yeah. There'll be more like ways to yeah get paid in bitcoin or like other things we haven't even thought of to earn bitcoin i, I like you know? the idea of just requiring a lot of you know um clubs and social circles revolve around exclusivity in group out group so if you're the group if you have the best club in miami and you only accept bitcoin and oh, you've right. started a culture of Oh, interesting. I can't get in. I've got. It's not about the money. Yeah. It's about I can't get in. I don't know how to use this technology. So then you've got a pool of interesting influencers, which is what everybody's. You have the people who know about Bitcoin, and then you have the other people who are Instagram influencers. They're yeah. going to write a book about it. I, I'm not too worried about the usability I'm not worried of about it. it. I mean, I like, think it'll just be yeah. interesting how that plays, how that middle ground of getting people who don't really care about Bitcoin to use it. What is their incentive? They can order yeah. that that limited edition Louis Vuitton pocketbook yeah. only through Bitcoin or yeah. like a Supreme, like wait outside for yeah. two weeks and you can only buy in Bitcoin. Let, let me tell you how easy this is. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a Miami Dolphins football player that wanted that to have his income partly paid in Bitcoin. Also, the Miami Dolphins were thinking about accepting Bitcoin for ticket sales. Imagine this, and then that guy opens up a nightclub, you know, where he like pays his employees in Bitcoin, like, like a, a circular thing like that to happen. Another circular thing that could ignite this would be a um, uh, a power company that accepted Bitcoin for payment from the miners. Imagine if the miners didn't have to sell their Bitcoin anymore to pay their energy bills because the power company accepted Bitcoin because the employees of the power company wanted their salary mm -hmm. in Bitcoin. Like that's another like sort of like as soon as these like I envision these things as tiny little circles because it's not like we're going to complete the economy in one big swoop. We're just going to have these tiny little you know, NFL player nightclub circle and, uh, you know, mining industry power company circle just starting to close. And maybe that's what we mean by the parallel economy is just like mm -hmm. places where circles have closed like that. I think definitely in, in like 
crypto-based companies, employees are paid with Bitcoin or like crypto. Yeah, you know, for sure. Starting yeah. those like little parallel economy circles yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah, and it's like just slowly gonna, I think, spread if it is something that you know people want. I right. mean, to a certain extent, sure. if you're hiring somebody at a crypto company and they won't take a, any of the cryptocurrencies as their salary, you probably should look at a different candidate. Like, they're not. Yeah, that's like somebody that doesn't want to have any uh, stock options invested in the company. It's like, oh, no, 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 it's no. Like, yeah, it's like, yo, you don't actually believe I'm investing in the competitors. Yeah. <laughs> but going back to the fact that nobody owns Bitcoin right now, it's not really a problem. If you think about what, a, what an average American's life is today, they have no money when they're 22, but over time, over the next 40 years, they acquire enough to retire. You don't need to have Bitcoin at every age. You just need to be able to accumulate enough of Bitcoin or whatever other savings you want so that you can eventually retire or you know, save up to buy a house. Whatever you need to do savings, you do the work to acquire the thing. Sounds like we need to move this podcast to an old age home. To what? To an old age home. Oh, old age home. Like yeah. a retirement community. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Sp- spread the good word there. I mean, those are the folks that have acquired the money. You know, per your per your you know um, hypothesis. I mean, I I don't think that that doesn't make sense. I think that does. I think it's a smart point. Well, I'm on FM talk radio, so <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm doing my part for that demographic. The crypto culture oh. show. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the Crypto Sunday. Culture Show. <laughs> Sunday nights on what W something? Uh, 106.7. The Big Talker. The, I feel like all the, the coin. coin. The coin. <laughs> 106.7, the coin. <laughs> does, does that, does that, um, do you, does that answer any of your question about what is a Bitcoin world? What would you mean by Bitcoin world? I think the answer is we don't know, and we're just talking about how it might happen that it becomes more popular. And it could look even more futuristic than that. This is the first digital version of money. So it could be AI paying each other back and forth. We don't know what the possibilities are of once you can turn money into a code that can go to any device around the world. No, but like a lot of assumption is like uh, when when we talk uh, about like Bitcoin being immutable and like it's not like people are not gonna change it much so like it being a store of value in some sense but like as you know like would you like in future like maybe 50 years later would you still trust something that was built like 40 50 years ago and it's like refused to change like it wouldn't be like something same as when you argue about government government and processes uh like uh like you have like two different kinds of would you have like there's two different kinds of go- government when talking about Bitcoin that this is the, like a revolution this is like changing killing a lot of existing processes but like when you talk about like uh, like like making changes to uh, Bitcoin itself to accommodate like maybe uh, as in uh, like talking about Bitcoin governance process or like uh, uh, like making changes to Bitcoin as a protocol to accommodate maybe like uh, more users or maybe address like core issues that like some of the issues that Bitcoin has like when then like the, the those arguments totally go sideways like it's like to conflict conflicting opinions when like talking about uh, uh, 
immutability of bitcoin in a sense and then also like uh, using a bitcoin as a like a path breaking technology uh, so it's 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 so just uh, so wh- what do you think like uh, would you think like uh, after 50 years like when like what would you be your thought process regarding this argument like is it fair to uh, people who are like be like it's becomes uh, like normal mode of payment but like the rules still stay like a lot of rules still the same as they were are and like and the people who have continued to hold uh, bitcoin like accumulated it long before before any of like maybe like future generation had a chance like and like argument comes again back to back the same thing of like distribution of money like how to solve it like it's uh, i feel it's like a biggest problem and i feel like uh, cryptocurrencies in a way like because take you can like sort of have a way to experiment with economy uh, like there there are like more like many experiment that you sh- could be look forward to like maybe like more uh, thoughts on this i don't know yeah that's really an inter- interesting question the, the governance of bitcoin is a concern that you know everyone understands that it's decentralized it's hard to control and it's where it's going to be in 40 or 50 years the ability to update the code these are all big questions you know what we're we're kind of hoping that it'll work out and it can be a technology that just can upgrade itself or just be uh you know future proof you know to some extent like you know am radio has been around for forever and it still functions you know can bitcoin just be a way to broadcast transactions that still functions on that way. But yeah, as, as far as there are, altcoins are a great place to look for other solutions to governance, other uh, distribution models for um, how you get coins out in a more even way. And they do try to do things like universal basic income in those altcoin experiments. But the thing about them is they are true experiments. They are unlikely to succeed because Bitcoin is such an economic threat. But if one of them did succeed, It, it, I mean, I, I think it's possible something could take off from that. It, it would just have to beat Bitcoin's game theory somehow and still integrate some sort of universal basic income or fair distribution of coins, which uh, no one's been able to crack yet. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good question, too. I, it's like, it, to me, it's like there's no perfect system of governance. But one of the things I, I, I need to have in order to make an investment is some kind of assurance that there isn't somebody somewhere that's just going to totally change my investment. Like um, if someone is just going, if I'm going to invest in something, but then there's this, uh, this one guy over here that can just like totally change the monetary policy or that guy can take my investment from me like in a violent way, um, then that's not something that I would be interested at all in, in investing in. So it, 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 this governance thing is, is very difficult without uh, the threat of violence, to be honest. Like when, when people talk about distributing income, they don't talk about the process of taking money away from people. That is a violent process. So it, yeah, it, yeah, so that's like a really, it's a really tough problem, I think. Yeah, like that always been a problem. I think that's like, uh, but once you have already m- m- have like some level of accumulation and distribution, then like 
to redistribute wealth is like is already known it's difficult like if okay. someone who already has bitcoin is not going to give give it up for like whatever good of society or whatever it is but like uh, thing is like uh, just like th- thinking about the process of like from the beginning itself like to have a uh, sort of a like generally have a currency that kind of uh, does that or even like just like for a sake of discussions like ima- like thinking about this thing like how to distribute wealth initially like so like it feels like uh, it's i mean like something that could be widespread or like it could be sort of maybe like adapted in a way like just thinking about the wealth distribution process i think it's like a good conversation to have like I think unfortunately, or fortunately and unfortunately, Bitcoin isn't going to change much. So as far as we were crazy, Bitcoin's going to change everything. Well, no, it's not going to change like the coin supply, for instance. By not no, there, it's, it's, you're saying that Bitcoin is the, a the protocol is protocol. pretty sol- yeah. solidified. So as far as experimenting with new ideas in the future, Bitcoin's probably not going to do it. I think the altcoins are, are going to try to do things like that because there is a demand for someone to solve this problem. There are all, all sorts of ethical questions about money supply, and someone's going to try to just code out something that might work. But if, as far as if you want a, a coin that could change in the future and adapt to, uh, to whatever people in the future demand, Bitcoin is not going to be as pliable as other coins. I, I disagree with that. Um, I think Bitcoin's incredibly pliable um, for the simple fact that it's a democracy. If the nodes say that they want Bitcoin to do something different, maybe reduce the block time um, to, to five minutes, uh, if the majority of people agree, that's what Bitcoin will become. And, and if, uh, if maybe we figure out a me- consensus mechanism to remove fees, Bitcoin could become fearless. I think that it's, I think it's wrong to assume that Bitcoin is not likely to change. In fact, Bitcoin could change as fast as anything with a Democrat. I mean, someone suggested something right now on Bitcoin talk. It could be taking flights as we speak and a majority of people could, could update their nodes and that's what Bitcoin becomes. We, we don't know what Bitcoin's going to be in 50 years' time, and it could look completely different. But at the same time, Bitcoin is also has the potential with what it is and how well it's functioned and how resistant to, to manipulation and change, at least at a blockchain level, a consensus level, that Bitcoin could be exactly identical with some second-layer solutions providing some services to it. I think that's what's likely to change in Bitcoin. Is not maybe not the consensus mechanisms, but... Uh, the protocol, but maybe the the other layers that are going to come on top of it, as we're seeing with Lightning. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hop back and address your the contradiction you were talking about. Uh, I think the, you know, the fact that Bitcoin won't change uh, in fifty years' time, like, is a feature that I look for. You know, like, yeah, I say government is not change is slow. I, I don't think I think that's a that's a bug of government, but it's a feature of Bitcoin. And I think ultimately Bitcoin was modeled after gold, which stays the same for like thousands, ten, like, you know, forever. It's been the same. And that's worked as a store of value. And I think it's kind of trying to simulate that just in a more 
digital form. I think that was the idea. Yeah, I think the big thing, like what would go away, and I would say this is no longer Bitcoin. I think the main things for sure are this coin supply. If they change that to above 21 million, that would really freak me out. They could mess with the block size. That wouldn't freak me out. Block time wouldn't freak me out. But I, reversing transactions would freak me out, and the coin supply would freak me out. Yeah, that that's the problem. Like... I kind of agree with you. Some ideal world where there is some kind of distribution of income to people that was more fair. Like, I believe that would be great. I just don't see a way for it practically to come about without some kind of centralized team um, that makes these kind of decisions. Like, you know, for example, Ethereum just changed the block reward from three Ethereum to two Ethereum without telling anybody. And I mean, is it? And whenever you have some kind of central decision team that's making decisions about, okay, how much money should people get? And, okay, how much should, should, should we change that? It's like that central team that's making those decisions is going to be influenced by certain factors of society. And they're not going to get buy-in from the community. And I just feel like it's inevitable that that centralized team that's making those decisions is going to become i mean i don't want to say corrupt but it's just um there's no good answer and so i think the best answer is to just decentralize and uh solidify or crystallize um as much as possible but i mean i don't know i i just i don't I just i don't think there's ever going to be an equal distribution of of income i think there's always going to be rich people and poor people and i feel like any attempt to make the income levels even is going to cause more problems than it solves well even if it, even a sincere attempt would not be able to succeed even if all you want to do is say i've invented a cryptocurrency i want to give everybody in the world 1000 units everyone's going there's it's going to be impossible to actually accomplish that goal because people are going to commit fraud to try to get more of the coins. They're going to impersonate multiple people. There's 7 billion people on earth. Like how do you prove that each identity is unique? Like there's no way to accurately do it at this point in time that anyone can come up with to make sure that no one cheats the system and that even everyone participates. If you did try to get it to all 6 billion people, it probably get up to at best two billion if you were very successful. I think you, the, you hit it with that this point in time. I think that's a problem that's going to be solved later, next generation, maybe in like a couple hundred years. This is the it goes in everything goes in iterations, right? This is the best iteration we have. It's not perfect, but the best solution so far. And I think post Bitcoin, if that is going to happen, which it I mean, it probably will happen at some point. It might take like 500 years or something. Someone else will figure that out, knowing with all the knowledge they have of what Bitcoin's done and other cryptos too, like how it all panned out. Yeah, 500 years from now is a really long time. Even even like we're talking about 50 years from now, like we have no clue. Right. But think so of like, how far we've come from gold, you we, know? Can we really speculate on the next 10 years? Maybe. But that's about as far as I'm willing to go. And Bitcoin flying seems to cars. Be, flying cars, where are those? 
Yeah, the hope is that we're entering a period of abundance and we're just trying to disrupt the corruption that's holding us back. I like that, yeah. Yeah. You know, Bitcoin is, just needs to be a little bit better than the current system. The abundance. Wait, we're, we're entering, we're not already there. We're I feel probably like we're, already there and we just need some sort of way to knock out all the corruption and waste to realize that no everybody can have like a you know an education a good life for themselves a good lives for their family they don't need to wait till they're you know 32 and have saved up a bunch to start having kids you know we'll enter a period where people can just live pretty naturally and much less about your life is your career wow I don't know, man. Yeah, you way to go into this one. Yeah, that I don't. I I disagree completely. Like I don't. I like. I I think that is a very Americentric perspective. You could go pretty much anywhere in the world and get a very different perspective. You can, you can go south of the border and get a different perspective um, very quickly. I don't know. I don't well, know. Could uh, you? Could you? What's the other perspective? Just uh, out of curiosity. So I, I, if. Not to put a point on it, but I think that there is a, I don't want to use the P word, there's a lot of privilege that comes with living in America. Sure. I mean, a lot. Like, the the fact that there is even a thing called the American dream, that people come to this country to even just get a piece of that, um, is a really, really, for, I mean, I, I consider myself fortunate that my family was able to, to move to the US. Um, you know, we were, we were maybe slightly more than middle class in South Africa. My dad owned a, owned a company and sold the company to bring us here. Um, but my wife and I went back to South Africa to the people that used to go to my, my father's church and um, we stayed with them for a night. And I said to my wife, I can't, I can't be in here. This is, this is like just their house, the way they live, uh, the security fences, the, um, the neighborhood guards, the, that people in their homes um, rotate turns to keep uh, a community watch with guns um, every house has got an eight-foot fence with with barbed wire um, unemployment is like 36 percent in South Africa and I don't know a lot about the rest of the world I mean, I've done a fair amount of traveling but it is a proper proper shit show in, in southern Africa right now and I don't think that we're even close to fixing anything um, and and look but I think Bitcoin can can help but I think there will be haves and have-nots with Bitcoin as well. I don't think we're fixing that with Bitcoin. So, so your assessment of the, the world at large is that we are still barely keeping up with things like the food supply, the water supply, the infrastructure, housing, and stuff like that, that we're not actually close at all. I think all. there's 3 million homeless in just America alone. That's what, but that's 10% but of the population. They, well, they also could all... Every, the population? Sorry. every homeless person could... There are enough empty houses to house every homeless person in America, though. That's part of where you get the idea of abundance is you say, well, there's homeless people, but I know so people with empty houses. the of the resources. Yeah. So you could have 10 people that own 100 houses and they all live in China. Whereas, you know, if we're efficiently using them, there'd be a market for that. But why are those houses empty? That'd be a hard thing to measure. Because if you're just measuring houses and measuring people, you would think that we had the right allocation, but there's no way to measure like where those people are living. And just, you don't even have to look far in the United States to realize how bad things are. 
Our healthcare system is a royal crock of shit. But weirdly, that um, so I agree with you. Like we're you know American first world problems. Yeah, definitely. Um, rest of the world doesn't have these kinds of things. But uh, there is an abundance thing that's a problem with healthcare. Like for example, like you know, like people eating too much. You know, like I mean, of course, this is a first world problem. But my my problem in day to day life is not consuming. <laughs> you know, if I could just like not eat, I'm really consuming you anything. Know? Yeah. Just not consuming. Right. Period. Yeah. Like the, the, my challenge is to not consume things. And I, I guess that's a first world problem. But that, so I kind of agree with the abundance thing. But yeah, I mean, the rest of the world is still like struggling. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm all for it. Let's go to South Africa. We'll take a, take a trip together. <laughs> um, like I'm not, not yeah. trying to like rub anyone's face. I'm not trying to do anything other than I think there there is value in seeing how fucking terrifying it is driving down the highway, leaving the Johannesburg International Airport and being terrified that you're going to get carjacked because people want to steal your shit because they need it or they want it. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. Sure. I don't know. Like, I'm, and so I'm not, it's, it's like there's, um, it's a dystopian abundance here in the States. It's, yeah. it's abundant, but it's not properly allocated. It's a wealth distribution problem. Yeah. It's, I think it's easy also to lose track of, of how good we have it. I mean, I have. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I don't, eat too much i mean look at my ass uh, but at the same time i think that there is there's value in us just talking about this and acknowledging that there's a problem um i i don't know i don't know i'm also down for a trip to south africa if anyone wants to go i'll go and like yeah like, okay. tell me tell me when we can we should do this thing all right okay i i think it's weird it's like the the people in the first world with our abundance problems it would be better if we could just go experience a little bit of mixture on the other side because neither side is good. It's like the ideal life is this kind of struggle where you actually get what you need. But if you have too much of what you need or you don't have enough of what you need, like either side of that thing sucks. You know, it, like, I mean, being indebted to corporations up to right. eyeballs with credit cards. It's, it yeah. sucks. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a problem in, in England of, of people going to fight for Al Qaeda just because they wanted to wake up and have something to do. Like they had to have like some kind of need, some kind of like yearning. Like I want to walk to the waterfall to get water for my people because my people need it. Like just this this need to fix a problem. If all, if all your problems are fixed, like you go crazy. Become apathetic and yeah. drop out and you're lower energy. Yeah. You have something to fight for and you're part of something. Right, exactly. People just want to fight for something just to be a part of something. Um, and so I think it's, it, it's not, it, we shouldn't just say like, oh, people with first world abundance problems, oh, you guys just need to to realize how good you have it. Like that's not... That's not a solution. It's not a solution. It's you know? part of realizing the problem. Yeah. It's, it's a perspective. We, we definitely do. I think to Jared, what he's saying is we have a, a general lack of perspective overall. No, but it's, it's these people need to be transported to places where they have problems. There is no, there is no realizing how good we have it. That doesn't right. fix it. Like People need problems in their lives in order to be happy. 
See, my, I, I, okay. Sorry, wait, I, I got a really good example to illustrate <laughs> okay. this. I do this uh, in the office uh, with support staff once every two weeks. We call it uh, tolerance worksheets. Um, I have them sit down for an hour before they meet with me to write out a list of everything that's going bad in their life in the office, um, who they don't like. They can be as specific or non-specific as they want because if you can name the problem, you can fix the problem. Mm. Hmm. And it's a really simple management tool just to get a, get an idea of what people find annoying, what's bothering them. And then you can sit down and talk about why or how you can help. Um, I, I, it's If you can name it, you can fix it. I like that. My problem is that I want to die uh, rating Area 51. <laughs> Oblige him. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's meaningful. And also, the aliens are going to revive me if I die trying to do it. What, is that, what is that run called? Do you put your arms behind Naruto. your back? Yeah, Naruto run. Naruto run is scientifically proven to be faster than bullets. That's why. Well, that's why is also like the Olympic athletes they throw their arms back when they're coming across the finish line, right? They only remember because the hundred meter sprint's like less than ten seconds. They're not remembering to put their arms back until they get right to the finish line. That's also scientifically proven. Start with well, your arms back. Well, I think it's because of their chest, right? Because <laughs> that's what counts when you cross the finish line. <laughs> Might have something to do with it. <laughs> Don't ruin this you know what? Sorry, I, I reject your reality <laughs> and substitute it for my own. <laughs> Wait, sorry. Hey. You were going to say something before I just shut the bed. Um, so, it, do you think South Africa's forces are somewhat external or or not? Do you think they are an internal corruption issue? I I think that. Like, is the IMF giving them terrible loans they can never pay back? For me to speculate on this, I'm not in a position to do it. I've been outside of South Africa for 20 years. I I pay more attention to American politics than I do anything else. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you this, that um, there is an abundance of corruption, uh, nepotism, and some really, really uh, massive dash of incompetence from politicians. But I think that's par for the course here too i think it's just a smaller economy so maybe the issues are aggravated more you know maybe it was less stable to begin so it's aggravated worse um but yeah i don't really know man yeah i'm sorry to be so ignorant of the topic that's all good i mean i think that when we talk about like the ideal days of america what we're really trying to talk about is the fact that we've kind of entered a nepotistic era of america and we used to live in more of a free market era, but seemingly within the last couple of decades, people were replacing their, at the top were replacing themselves with a slightly not qualified, you know, relative or someone they knew. And that started to show. I mean, I think if you look at, you know, George W. Bush and Trump, that, their fathers kicked a lot more ass than they did and kind of helped them a lot of, along a lot of the way. Um, and I think you just see that in lots of things. Is that like, if you knew how, like, how many, how important the children of today's current officials are set up to be the officials of the future, it would be kind of disturbing. That's interesting. It, it kind of reminds me of going back to an aristocracy. 
Yeah, that's that's the unfortunate transition we're making now. And, and it, it also makes sense that when you have an older country, you want to have an aristocracy. You know, you've been rich for a couple of generations. You don't want to risk it going away. So, of course, you appoint your kids to take over. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's another way in, Bitcoin, way in which Bitcoin is awesome. It's like it's more of a meritocracy. Like when there is no friends of friends that means anything in Bitcoin. It's all about, it's all about code. It's all about work, proof of work. Well, yeah, but it'll be passed down, which will keep it going, right? Your Bitcoin will probably be passed down. No, mine's dying with me. Yeah. Someone said that last <laughs> week. Someone had a really good. Our friend's point yeah, wait, here. what did you? What was your point? Really, that was a really good point. I'd yeah. like to. Yeah. You want to you want to burn your coins when you die is the fairest thing to do because. <laughs> this serious you were about this because do that are and yeah I. Yeah, a lot of billionaires who are, they'll give up, you know, Bill Gates might give $10 million to his kids. He's got $300 billion. If you can't make it on your own, you don't deserve those Bitcoins. Thug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Boss. we're going to be, you know, charities are going to be doing what Bill Gates wanted them to do for maybe the next couple of centuries. You know, they could just be guarding some awesome painting in a museum for hundreds of years because that's what Bill Gates thought was the best thing to do instead of that money going to everybody else. And burn. You got to burn it. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I meant burn on Bill Gates. Yeah, that is just straight gangster to even suggest that. It was a big thing in the the Pepe Cash project. We did a lot of burning. I, th- I attribute some of the success to the amount of burning we did. What was the, what, what project? Yeah, Pepe Cash was this. Oh, Pepe oh, Cash. Pepe oh, Cash. Pepe okay. Cash. okay. <laughs> okay. What? If, I still you, can't believe you were a part of that project. But I love I, that. That's. Could you explain that a little? Shout out to Smooth Hair Pepe. So Pepe Cash was having these having property on the blockchain, digital property, and what we were doing was digital art pieces. There were also digital trading cards and they were secured by the blockchain and it would be a Bitcoin transaction with no Bitcoin attached, but the address would still be attached to the actual item that you were referring to. And for some reason, we just there, there was all, one of the memes of it was, you know, Pepe itself and lots of sacrifices to Lord Keck and burning cards to Lord Keck and burning Pepe cash to Lord Keck and Perhaps that did work out as far as why the project was successful. <laughs> the sacrificing and the burning things. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I, I recently saw a DJ steal your girl, Pepe Cash. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's pretty valuable, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I actually burned one of the two Winklevoss cards. There were only two wow. of them <laughs> and because of the twins. And so I said, well, we got to sacrifice one of these Wh- guys. Which one did which you one? sacrifice? Cameron. I don't think it was Karen. What's the other one? Tyler. Tyler? I think yeah. probably Tyler. <laughs> but yeah. Also, just, I don't know. We were just real punk about it. The idea of having two cards ever and destroying it so no one could have a complete set was hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, like yeah. That. Yeah. I think Pepe Cash, like if Bitcoin takes off, is going to be one of the most interesting, like weird things that happened in the early days. Cult, cult classic. Cult classic. <laughs> Cryptocurrency for cryptocurrency holders. It's true. I mean, every time that CryptoKitties gets pressed and it's not Pepe Cash, it makes me a little angry inside. Like, we were there first. Yeah, and Pepe Cash is on the blockchain. It was like the deepest, most on-chain 
thing you could imagine. Yeah. Right. Like there's nothing more on chain than it was also, it was the most serious Bitcoin project that just made fun of the Bitcoin community. Right. Like we took it so seriously, but we knew it was dumb how seriously we took it. So we had to make fun of ourselves. I mean, was the style, I mean, was the sentiment kind of like 4chan? Like It, it was, yeah, it was like 4chan. It was like, but it was like, it was almost like a national lampoon or something. Like we were just making fun of cult classic. Yeah. <laughs> like I uh, can't wait for the Pepe Cash movie. Like, oh my god! Like Pepe you can't Cash have movie. like a what is it, v- Vinay Gupta meme? Like how many people are gonna jump on board that? It's such a small community that would be willing oh, to god. shell out hard hard cash for it. But in the Pepe Cash community, we're on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I met I met Theo uh, Goodman up in New York. Man, he's hilarious. Theo takes us so seriously. He's <laughs> still trying to sell like. He was making a cell phone, I think. You can get it called the Theo, and it's like the only, it's cryptographically proven an original cell phone. I don't, you have to look into it, but uh, I mean, he's obsessed with the digital scarcity, everyone in that project is. Yeah, I mean, that's what it all comes down to. Scarcity, burning things. So we were talking earlier about how Bitcoin is effectively a, a, a digitally designed electronic um, gold. What aspects of Bitcoin do you think are um, weak or are potential that will likely be changed or improved in the future? Um, I, I know there's a lot of discussion over block sizes. I think that there's there's six in one hand and half dozen in another when it comes to block sizes or block time. Do you guys see any potential weaknesses with Bitcoin? Fungibility. It's probably the biggest one on my mind right now. How so? Yeah. Just <clears throat> like the privacy aspect of it, you know, like, I mean, by nature, there's got to be some level of like tracking of, you know, transactions, but, you know, having it behave like cash where it's, you know, completely fungible and there's no like so, real. So I think the issue with fungibility with and privacy um, like that is that, um, something that uh, Daniel brought up uh, once upon a time. Um, if if it is truly private and truly fungible, you're going to have a hard time quantifying how much is actually there. there Am I issue, missing something? There was an issue with Zcash uh, they recently yeah. discovered where they yeah. might have printed more Zcash and we'll never know how what the actual supply yeah. is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a concern. I think it could be implemented in a way that's not a concern, but it's also... At this point, trying to implement great privacy on Bitcoin would be a huge news story and would get a lot of blowback. Well, I'm not. I, I'm happy with the level of, of privacy we have now with coin joins and stuff. I, I think you can achieve privacy and fungibility, yeah. like where every address is still known, not like in a Zcash kind of way where you don't know the addresses. But I, well, the thing I, that is unfortunate for me is that you just have, in order to be consistent in your. Um, Hygiene and your hygiene. No, in order to be consistent <laughs> in like your thought process on this privacy fungibility thing, I have to go total gangster uh, libertarian. Like, it doesn't matter if it's child porn. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. drugs. Right. Money is money. Like, there's absolutely never going to be any censoring of anything legal, illegal. Fuck it. It's total private. Like, 
there's no it's a there's hard line to walk. There's no middle ground there because as soon as you start saying like, oh, but child porn can't be, then it's like, oh, it's not fungible. The game's over. Right. But that's not Bitcoin's problem to solve. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's, a different problem. Right. But when you're talking about this in the public, it sucks that I have to take such a strong position on that. Oh, right. Yeah. It's just like, hey, look, I'm sorry if there's a transaction going through for child porn. I think it should go through. Right. Well, I mean, just like like, I I just low-key got scammed. But, like, that should go through, and it's gone now. I don't think I should get it back. That's awesome. I wasn't forcefully made to do anything. I sent Bitcoin to somebody, and I don't want to know who that person is. I don't want to try and track them down based on their addresses. Like, that is, like, my fault, you know? And I don't have any desire to kind of break that model, even though I was more or less a victim. But that's my fault, you know? And it's not worth... Like that would go against, like the whole point of, you know, Bitcoin and the privacy model and separating the functions of like I guess justice and money, yeah. right or uh, right. enforcement and money. Like it should not be used as a tool, yeah, for enforcement. It right. should be separate yeah. from that. It, it's, yeah. it, it's so crazy how money intersects with so many different avenues. Whether it's politics, whether it's you know, history, whether it's justice, it, it just intersects with absolutely everything, which is why, in my opinion, Bitcoin is such a, a such an impressive design system is that it is so resistant to um, to manipulation. Um, you know, it's, it's it would take a lot to screw with Bitcoin. I know I've hopped on this for time and time again, but it, it never ceases to amaze me how how incredibly well designed and thought out the process was. And how it's been 10 years and no one's found a viable attack vector to undermine its integrity um, as a consensus mechanism. But um, I, I think the fact that you can't reverse Bitcoin transactions is such a defining element of it that when you're deciding whether you should use fiat or Bitcoin, the price isn't going to change that much relative to each other in the next week, month. I mean, we're in volatile times, but you shouldn't expect much. You don't know which way it's going to go. The real question is, do you want some protection, the ability to reverse the transaction, or are you using this money in a way where you don't want to be able to reverse it? That, that would be an important choice. Well, someone can reverse it. Yeah. Yeah. And who that someone is makes a difference, right? Yeah. No, I, I've had this issue before with paying um, developers. Mm. Do I want to pay with fiat? Or do I want to pay um, with Bitcoin? Because if I pay with Bitcoin, I'm never getting that back. Exactly. I don't know if you guys remember about six months ago, I came to the meetup and I was totally shocked that one of the developers that we had hired had refunded me Bitcoin for not doing the job. Really? Yeah. That's because yeah. Bitcoiners are good people. Well, this this guy actually turned out to be a super, super nice guy. We've hired him again because of it. But um, I mean, it wow. was it was awesome. Like I, I I expected him to abscond with the with the funds, um, and you didn't even know him like yeah, in no, person. This is, he's in India. Wow. Yeah, super impressive. That's super interesting. But I had the option to pay the credit card. You know, I could have I could have said, well, that's screw that guy, give me the funds back. But um, yeah. At the same time, you should always be paid in Bitcoin to to yourself. You never want them to be able to cancel the payment later. Yeah. No. <laughs> Make that sure people suck. are not writing you checks in the era of Bitcoin. Definitely. The downside to that is some of the, the volatility. When we were at that 
6,500 uh, per Bitcoin mark and it dropped down to 38 in the course of like 20 days. I've, I felt some hurt during that period of time because I'd just been been paid on some uh, with some Bitcoin. Um, and, and the people that I work with reminded me every day. That shit's all going to be taken care of on second layer, though. You think so? Yeah. I mean, second layer stuff can... It can take care of so many transactions, things. It can even do a little bit of... Um, you know, hedging. It can it can do a little bit of uh, stability. I think, like, just keep the base layer the way it is. Yeah. So I'm not I'm yeah. not upset about it. I mean, I've made the made the transaction. It was badly timed in my favor. But you know, you also sold me, Steve, some Bitcoin when it was at five, and then it jumped up a month later to ten. So. I sold Bitcoin at three. <laughs> I, I, I'm a horrible. I, yeah. Dollar cost averaging both goes both ways. It goes both ways. <clears throat> I've been sitting here staring at the Bitcoin on Mars topic the whole night. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I even brought that up on our Telegram. Because, no, I, I mean, want to go. It, it intrigues me to, to think about how we're going to handle speed of light communication between Earth and Mars. Yeah. In a Bitcoin age, in a Bitcoin yeah. world, where the orbital mechanics or the orbital positioning of Earth and Mars is a three minute to a 22 minute uh, speed of light um, communication time. So asynchronous. It's it, horrible. It is terrible. What it are we going to do about that? I, well, I, I want to know what you guys think about how Bitcoin's going to going to exist <laughs> if we colonize Mars. Bitcoin Cash on Mars. Oh, God damn it. Get out of here. So, <laughs> so we definitely can't have mining happening on both on both planets because you can't propagate the, the blocks back and forth. I think you could. I, I don't. I think you could. Well, it would result work. in massively divergent orphan chains on, on both planets. But I think they would sort themselves out, though. I think it would work as is. Who, who gets affected by the orphan chains? I don't think anyone actually does. All you care about is whether you get your Bitcoin. Well, your transaction will eventually go through. Even if the the blocks get reordered, I think right. I think it would work. It might I think not be the best. It would require like a hundred confirmations. Not maybe not a hundred, but it no. it require a lot more confirmations. I agree with that. But maybe an interplanetary blockchain with longer block times should be developed, and people can mine that. So, so it, or you could just bump the uh, the time from like an average of ten to something higher. Oh. 20 or thirty. The block times, like the difficulty, you know. But are you are you are you gonna say change Bitcoin in order to incorporate Mars or make a new one? I'm well, saying okay. you could change Bitcoin. Here's the real okay. issue: is time is relative, and the block sizes are gonna get out. Or they're not. The ten minutes is not the same on its Mars as it is on the on Earth. You yeah, but it's mining on blocks both. For Mars. You can't have mining on both ways. You can have nodes on both planets, but you can't mine yeah, on two different. Yeah, we would have planets. to define what a second. But is, is that time? Could. Is that time really matter though? The the difference in just time, on like if you take a clock to Mars, the difference in. But, but is it an Earth clock counting Earth seconds and Earth minutes and Earth hours? I, I don't. No, it just it just runs on. I don't think it's just the distance that matters. It's the fact that both things are moving around the universe at such different speed. Doesn't isn't in the algorithm to determine that? Oh my God, we have got a project on our hands. No, doesn't it take into account the (laughs) fact that miners can be dishonest with their time? I I think we should absolutely do a bip that says we need to lower the block the block time to this 
period, once we get a note on Mars to allow, you know. Yeah, I'm down. We could, it could be a detailed bit. Like, once we get to Mars, it has to be this minutes. Once we get to Jupiter, we're going to have to drop I, it down to this. I still stand behind. Once we well, get well, to so, back so, it'll work. This, it'll this work. actually <laughs> does raise an interesting... <laughs> I think it'll work as is. This raises an interesting problem that if someone got into a really fast rocket ship and traveled off in a direction as close to the speed of light as we can get and turned around and came back, time would be traveling at a very different speed compared to what had happened on Earth. Just for that person, though. Absolutely, but if us. that person is has got a node, but they would have, have to communicate often chain. No, often. I I, th- I think it would work out because I think the way they would ha- communicate with our chain would. So um, their, their orbit chain isn't going to matter because they don't have a supercomputer behind it. So even though they have lots of blocks, the work behind those blocks is not nearly as large as the chain that had the supercomputers working on it. And a twenty-two minute window at most isn't really that massive. And I don't think it's, it's probably somewhere in the range of 16 to 20 blocks for a confirmation would be more than sufficient if you're dealing with a, a difference between, you know, Mars and... I think the system would work as is and you would have to, yeah... Increase adju- confirmations. Yeah, increase, like, your confidence level in number of confirmations. I would love, though, if the time relativity problem became a real thing and we had to start launching miners into space as fast as, as well, the speed of light. We need a tweet, Elon Musk, here. Realistically, there will be miners on wherever planet, you know? I mean, theoretically, they'll be able to figure out... What, there's an incentive to figure out how to mine with whatever resources are available anywhere. I mean, it might not work out that it's profitable at all, but... There's the, at least the incentive there, which usually, like, someone will figure something out, you know? I It just occurred to me that if this happened, there would be massive reorg events where Mars would find a lot of blocks in a row, and then Earth would find a lot of blocks in a row because of the distribution time. So, let's say on average it takes 10 minutes to get something from from Marth, from Mars to Earth. If Mars found the most recent block, then they have a 10 minute head Advantage. start at finding mm-hmm. the next block. And then, uh, and then, but every once in a while, Earth will find the next block. But once they find the next block, they'll have a huge advantage. So there'll be these like massive swings. But that, are you, you're assuming that the two sides have even, even mining power. Yeah, what, you right. mean, what degree yeah. of mining power do okay. you need to have yeah. on Mars yeah. before they well, can keep up at all? Like, <laughs> Mars wouldn't get shit. Yeah. They, just wouldn't, they wouldn't get they, anything they would, at, at the beginning. So that's why yeah. I think you could put it. We can have nodes <laughs> no, on Mars, but we can't have mining on Mars. On Mars. No, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I think I honestly, there's going to, it's just, there's going to have to be a different Bitcoin for Mars and I, Bitcoin cash. Sounds doesn't right. that make um, it, doesn't that create a weakness for Bitcoin? There's a use case finally. <laughs> because this problem, extrapolating it however many miles Mars is away, that same problem exists for countries that have incredibly crappy internet. Yeah, I, I just think it's that ratio of the propagation time to the block time. Like the propagation time of blocks over the U.S. is like, a couple seconds whereas you know the block time is 10 minutes so it's it's the ratio of the block time to the propagation time which um, makes that unfair thing but there's got to be a solution here because otherwise the aliens would not have given us Bitcoin <laughs> it has to be the interplanetary money they wouldn't have given us I like that. well JC who is yeah. saying that quantum entanglement is real and who is saying it isn't real 
I don't want to go oh, to God. the hospital. As soon as someone said that, I was done. It's both real and unreal. It's real, but um, so you can't communicate, can't use it for communication right now because um, so I can take two particles and I can separate them and go to the other side of the planet. And as soon as I measure the spin of this one particle, I immediately know the spin of this other particle. But I can't take those entangled particles without measure, measuring them and force this thing to be a one such that this one is a zero. So you can't like, you can't encode any information into the particles because you, you can't force them to spin one way or the other. You don't know what they are. You can measure what they are, and immediately you know the measurement of the other one, but you can't use that for so communication. Here, here's a different metaphor. Let's t say I took two identical basketballs in space and started spinning them at the same speed and then pushed them in opposite directions at the same force. Is that what is that what's going on? They're not no, actually related you, to each other. They're just spinning at the same yeah, speed you, by co coincidence. Um, you have to separate those basketballs without knowing which direction they're spinning. If if you know if you if you measured the spin of them, then the entanglement's done. So you have to you have to do that separation without making any measurements. It's all about when measurements are made. So yeah, it's that that's the general problem with why entanglement is weird. Um, but it, it at least in my knowledge, there's no way to use it for communication faster than the speed of light right now. Even though there's some kind of spooky action at a distance, it can't be used to encode something to send it to a distance. So I don't think, but this is just, okay, in general, quantum is the most overhyped thing ever, okay? Okay, whenever you hear that quantum is going to solve something, think in your mind, bananas on the blockchain. Just think of your mind, someone saying like, blockchain the is the solution the to everything. They're they're on it. Chances are quantum mechanics is going to be the solution to nothing ever. Okay. <laughs> that's, the, that's what you guys should bet on. In I, my opinion. <laughs> I think an, big data might turn out to be the same way. Actually, it's going to not pay off as much as it's going to get a bunch of people to pay for services that claim to be giving them all this big data answers. They're like, yeah, advertise here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got me started on quantum. Dude, sure. I, I, when I saw that quantum conversation happen, I was like, Steve's going to get riled up about this quantum thing. I have <laughs> oh, no so part of it. Does, yep. it. does this extend to quantum computing that you don't think the processes are actually doable as well? Yeah, so quantum computing is up to uh, 22 qubits or 30 qubits. I mean, do you know how many bits you have in your phone? Like, about 11? Like, yeah, we're talking about bits. We're not even talking oh, yeah, about... I've got 11 yeah, in my we're phone. We're not talking about like... <laughs> It, like a, a kilobit when I, but, like, but having code in bi in binary versus quantum isn't going to make the code suddenly become alive and sentient. This extra, extra yeah, okay. number, right? So when we're talking about code, we're talking about digital ones and zeros. Yeah. This isn't even how quantum works. Quantum isn't a um, general purpose digital computing system. It's only a certain class of math problems which happen to map onto the way that the wave function works that can be solved with a quantum computer. I mean, quantum computer is not a general purpose digital computer ones and zeros at all. I mean, it's like, imagine like probability distributions and then like laying probability distributions on top of one another. 
in like this really probabilistic kind of field. This is great for certain types of math problems. This is not a general purpose ones and zeros computer. It's, it's, uh, so the only danger is that this very specific type of computer might be able to solve elliptic curves quickly. That, that's why we hear about it so much with Bitcoin. But when you say might, are you talking about 10 billion years from now? I was talking about faster than that. Right. How much faster than that? See, that's the thing is people don't say that, that in using that technology, um, quantum computers that are trying to do like general purpose arithmetic are up to like 3 plus 2 equals 5 because they can only use 22 bits. Like the, the, the horsepower that it would require for them to crack elliptic curve, there's, there's, no, there's no reason to believe that quantum computing is going to scale like digital computing scaled where it doubles the amount of effort every year. Like there's no reason to believe that. Mm. Anyway, it, it's pointless for me to talk about this because it's like, it, it just comes down to bet. Who wants to bet me that quantum computers won't crack ECDSA. Does anyone want to bet me yeah, that? I'll take that bet. You'll take that How bet. How much you want to bet? I'll bet you a million dollars that quantum computers will not crack ECDSA in Ever. the next. No, in the next <laughs> uh, in the next ten years. And I'd, would, like, you, would you say also that regular binary computers are going to would not also have no chance of doing it? They would have a much better chance than quantum okay, computers. Interesting. Um, that is interesting. A way more. Are you kidding? I hadn't even okay. thought about it. Yeah. Explain, explain what you mean by that. It's, I, don't, I don't quite follow the okay. significance of it. Um, because digital computers, like the way, the way that digital transistors work, um, maybe we can invent a way that we can avoid the quantum tunneling that happens at less than like, you know, four nanometer technology. And maybe we can figure out a way to make... Um, transistors fire faster than uh, whatever um, you know, four gigahertz or we. The engineering challenge for making traditional style transistors fire faster seems to me a like mind like orders of magnitude less difficult than trying to make quantum computing happen. Isn't the bottleneck heat? Yeah, heat. Yeah, or just and, straight up like, like right. it just gets too hot. Yeah, and that problem is way worse in quantum computing. Have you like they have to have yeah. super cooling nitrogen? Like the heat problem is orders of magnitude worse in the quantum computing than it is in traditional computing. No, it's more about like putting number of uh, like num physically packing them in. Yeah, uh, number of uh, what you transistor transistors on a chip. Yeah, if you if you Put like there is a limit. If you put more than that, then like there is an interference between the electrons. Okay. So it's no longer works. Like there is a limit, like how far they can go. And even with that, like if you put uh, like even the, with the like more slow going, for still good for like maybe maybe hundred years. Like uh, the pro with with traditional computers, it's not feasible to uh, go ahead and like break uh, ECDSA like. The magnitude is like you can just increase the if you just double the key size, uh, then like uh, it, it it becomes uh, like like very exponentially very difficult for uh, uh, any computer like computer like most law doesn't catch up with that at all like it's just like not even 
feasible from like the like slightest of the chances like thing with quantum computer is like the al theoretical algorithm they have to uh, so it's like it's just the opposite of what can go exponential it what is like what can go logarithmically down this side so it's it's just that like uh, what it what was difficult to do to, to power 32 times has now just become 32 but okay. but moore's law is an engineering restriction moore's law is not a theoretical restriction like you're talking about theoretical stuff about quantum computing but more no, moore's he, law is an engineering yeah, problem no i'm yeah i'm, I'm yeah. Uh, so there's two different topics like one is yeah. uh, but the, there's an that, e that, there is that, a, that is also related to physics like putting uh, stuff yeah. near to each other before they are start interfering in other that's where right. quantum behavior comes there yeah. also in picture but that's what I'm talking about is when people talk about Moore's law and typical transistors, they bring about these engineering problems about things being too close to each other and heat and everything like this. When people talk about quantum computing, all of a sudden engineering problems don't matter and heat doesn't matter and power doesn't matter. It's like if you're going to talk about Moore's law in the context of engineering problems, you have to talk about quantum computing in the context of engineering problems. You can't just like talk about theoretical things because no no i'm talking about transistor theoretically i'm talking about putting yeah. number of transistor on okay. theoretically i'm not talking about okay but so so imagine that we allowed quantum tunneling to happen between transistors you're telling me i can't engineer a theoretical math problem that could incorporate the wave function that's happening and the noise functions b between the transistors I, 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 in order to make the math problem solved quicker of course someone can do that the, the problem is you can't Okay, there's, you don't think you, you could mathematically, theoretically devise this hybrid between uh, traditional and quantum computing where you have quantum interactions and, and the gates happening at the same time as you have the things and you have like a multi-scale quantum slash digital logs thing? Of course you can devise this shit. The question is, can you build it? And the answer is no. <laughs> so I, I believe that Paul may be running a quantum computer in the Bitcoin Collective <laughs> house because this room, it's it's hotter than shenanigans in here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I just gotta throw that out there. I, I have four, one final com computing question. If Moore's law holds true, would SHA-256 like break in the next fifty years? Because computers will double fifty times. No, that's what it's saying. Can, can, it's it's exponential. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, quantum computers can't do anything with hash functions. It just hash function is a completely random shit. Like it's your anything you can do diffuse and uh, like you just like hash function is like more of like diffuse and like it's more like an art. Uh, more uh, logic based. Right? ECDSC. What ECDSA is is not diffusion and confusion. It's more of like a math. It's like solid math. Like it's a group of numbers. It's like a so polynomial. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's an ECDSA can be like broken down like deterministically. You can devise an algorithm like knowing uh, how quantum computing works. You can map, uh, you can uh, devise an algorithm in this com quantum computing paradigm. While when it comes to hash function, there is no such pattern. It's randomness. Uh, the way it is divided is more like, like, like ha hash function. So like anything that is based on hash functions is uh, quantum computing secure for as for the part of the knowledge we have about quantum computer like certain problems can't be solved with quantum 
computing like there has to be a pattern on this problem so like this particular problem of ecdsa or any public key cryptography system where like there is a certain uh, a particular math involved that i can like describe in some other sessions if you want like anyone wants to know how ecdsa works how does uh, digital signatures and rsa work that i can like totally how many qubits do you think a quantum computer would need to solve, to to crack ECDSA? Uh, I have zero information about quantum computing. <laughs> My information is just based on uh, like uh, more on like on like I don't know technically what is happening. I know like uh, just an overview of things how they are happening. I I don't know in detail about like how quantum computing works, but I can go in detail how. DCDSA works or RSA works. I mean, that'd be, cool. that'd be a fun podcast topic yeah, for that, sure. That may be a good topic for next week as well. To start okay. uh, talking about uh, about that at maybe a, a deeper level because I have no idea about either one of those topics. Yeah, it also doesn't stick. You have to hear it again and again. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like Bitcoin. I mean, it's it's just it's one of those weird things that eventually it's like. Okay, you know how it's really hard to get good information now on Bitcoin? Yes. Good information about anything. Yeah, because there's so much financial incentive in giving out bad information. Like, this is the way I feel about quantum computing. Like, nobody, not D-Wave, not Google, not IBM, not any of the things that you hear about quantum computing, there's no incentive to admit that it's not going to solve anything. Mm. Like, so I, I've heard you talk about quantum computing a couple times previously, but I'd never once before ever heard you say that traditional processing, general computing, whatever you described it as, would be more effective and more likely to solve this than quantum computing would be. And I'd never thought yeah. about it like that before. There's was, engineering problems with yeah, both. It's absolutely. just that the Very quantum computing people pretend like there aren't engineering problems. Yeah. And the the regular, you know, traditional computing people admit the engineering problems. That's the only difference. Yeah. I think also quantum computing just sounds cool as shit. Exactly. It's just, <laughs> so does so does fucking bananas on the blockchain. Bananas on the blockchain. Yeah, exactly. Steve, of course. Steve, so, it so, sounds so, like you were recently triggered by <laughs> bananas on the blockchain related speech. Is that correct? Yeah. There was. Andreas. Andreas. At the peak yeah. of 2017, there was a cryptocurrency that was going to put bananas on the blockchain. It was there. Actually. Yeah, there was a real, there was a real project. So you, you didn't like his Ethereum and Bitcoin speech that he gave there. Uh, what Andreas's? Yeah. Oh no, actually, I love everything Andreas does. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he just nails it. Yeah. I mean, he he says it exactly how it is. The goat. The yeah, goat of education on Bitcoin and crypto. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bananas on the blockchain. It's like it's like someone said, like, all right, prove to me that bananas will never be on the blockchain. And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> like, can we just bet on whether bananas will be on the blockchain? That's the only thing I could do. How much time are we at? We're at about two hours and five minutes. Wow. Plus or minus the um, wardrobe, wardrobe malfunction we had at the beginning with me not turning your mic on. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to do with that. That was a censorship. Yeah, we may be All able right. to just cut it out. But this is probably a good point to... Um, to pull pull a plug. All right, let's cut it here. I think Jeez. we I know we need, we need to close we need a closing. We can, we we had a had a solid opening on the second go around. I don't know if it was solid, <laughs> but we had an opening. <laughs> so so Steve, the, 
to, on a scale of Are you still talking into the mic? I, oh, I totally am. On a scale oh, of still, one to uh, the one to okay. unlikely, how likely is quantum computing to to <laughs> hack or crack Bitcoin? Give us oh your best god. diatribe. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck. Um I would bet on so many things cracking encryption before quantum computing did. Like so many things. I would bet on aliens cracking or ghosts. Come on. Or like I would bet on all of these things before because you don't understand how overhyped quantum computing is. What what what's the incentive for anyone to tell the truth about quantum computing? And that's where we're going to end this episode. Yeah, yeah. Aliens, ghosts are more likely to hack your Bitcoin than quantum computing. I think that was.